Welcome to the Homeopathy for Mommies radio show. Your host, Sue Meyer, is a Catholic wife and homeschool mom of 11. She shares her knowledge of the study of natural alternative medicine with you. While this show is not intended to diagnose or name any disease, through her experience, Sue will share helpful information to help you further your study into the amazing world of homeopathy. And now, here's your host, Sue Meyer. Hello, and welcome to Homeopathy for Mommies. This is Sue Meyer. Well, we're sitting here with a few moms, and the subject we're going to talk about in this next hour or so is the Homeopathy for Mommies book and how to be the main caretaker of your family. So how to take care of your family using Homeopathy for Mommy's book. And this is really near and dear to my heart because this is exactly what my first intention was when I put this book together in the first place. I don't know how many of you have ever heard this, but I started studying with a group of eager moms, <laughs> homeopathy, and I was sharing them with them my notes from when I first started reading Kent's book, Lectures on Homeopathy. And they're like, Sue, I want a copy of your notes. So that's kind of how my original book came to be in the first place. And I thought, you know, that is a good idea. I should jot these down just to scrunch everything Kent says into form, you know, note form so that my daughter-in-law and my daughters would have access to some really good notes. Because I will tell you that when you start combining different doctors and different homeopaths information, it's really hard. I used to study, I used to sit around uh, and I have my table and all around me would be several different books and I would glean information about different remedies from each book and that's when I would compile it so that I had these notes and um, because no one person knows everything. So you just constantly glean this information from different doctors. And so that's what I had done and that was homeopathy for mommies. And when I went to have it published, I was telling the ga- this young lady here that I was kind of discouraged at first uh, from calling it homeopathy for mommies because it was too specific. And I said, oh, the the neat thing about homeopathy for mommies book is that it's really for everyone. And, but if I know I'm talking to moms, then I'm comfortable. It's, it's, I can't talk to someone that I don't understand. So that was my target group. And as it turns out, I have students, doctors, and a lot of chiropractors and naturopaths just tell me how much they love my book. I had one mom actually call me a couple weeks ago, and she said, Sue, I've been studying for nine years, and I found your podcast, and I bought your book. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You've managed to bring it all together for me. And so that's what it's all about. And I think on our website, um, I have the saying, you know, it's like, what is my mission? And my dad used to say, teach a man to fit, or give a man a fish, you feed him for a day teach a man to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. And so that was what I was trying to accomplish with Homeopathy for Mommies, is helping mommies to understand how to treat their own families. And like I said, I'm only doing acute treatments here, and acute is flus, viruses, injuries, bumps, bruises, things like that. I mean, obviously, if they need stitches or they have a broken bone, take them to a doctor. But if they come down with the sniffles, a cold, the you know, a flu... You can so easily treat them homeopathically, and they're just going to get better. And the more you'll find that when you first start using homeopathy, you can kind of get frustrated because even just using homeopathic remedies for the first time, they could aggravate a little bit. In other words, they might, the fever might spike, and it's kind of scary. You know, that's when I tell moms to put the pickle socks on, and we're going to talk about that. But just work with it. Don't be afraid. And so that's why I say when we're talking about diseases and things like that, the fear factor has to be taken away from you so that you, the disease itself doesn't scare you. Because fevers, symptoms are part of a disease that the mind is trying to tell you what to give for the symptom. Because the mind will throw the symptoms externally so that we know how to treat that sick child. So that's what homeopathy for mommies is all about. Take out, that, take out that fear, and don't be afraid. And I'm going to use the story of one young mother without using any names. She's very talented in her mid-30s, has quite a few kids. And her mom had called me and told me that she had this little child who every six weeks or so ran a fever. And I've told this story on my podcast before, so it's 
if you're, if you're not new to my podcast, then you've heard it, but it's worth retelling. And so this mom is actually an RN, and she works as an emergency room nurse, so it's kind of funny. But she has this child that every six weeks you'd run this really high fever, very often they'd end up putting them on antibiotics, and she was getting tired of it. She know, this isn't good. You know, is he ever going to outgrow this? What's going on? And her mom told me this. I says, she says, would you talk to her? And I said, sure. So she called me one day, and she was telling me about it. And I said, so what do you do? Uh, immediately she would give the Tylenol, and eventually it would go into having to have, use the antibiotics for the child. And I says, okay. You know, and they didn't know what was causing this fever. That was, that was the kicker. They didn't know what was causing it, but it was very um, ritualistic in the sense that it just every six weeks or so it came on. So then I said, okay, I will help you if you do as I say. And she's like, okay. And I said, why don't you go to your medicine cabinet? Now, she's a nurse, mind you. Go to your medicine cabinet. I want you to take out every single pharmaceutical that you use to treat this child with, and I want you to throw it in the garbage. And so that when he runs at fever again, it's not going to be there. She's like, what? She promised she would do that. And I said, okay, so when, if, when the child starts running a fever again, you're going to rely on belladonna. Give aconite, and then give belladonna, and use that belladonna for the fever. Because for fever, if you use the belladonna, you're, going, you're assuming you're using it because you want it to interrupt the virus. And we didn't know what we were dealing with, but belladonna very safely will help the body get through a high fever. So she did that, and... And I says, and now when he starts running that high fever, you put the pickle socks on him. And this is a recipe that my, my homeopath told me about because you want the body to run that fever naturally without trying to suppress it. But you also want to help the body to, to get through it. So by putting, soaking white cotton socks in pickle juice, I prefer kosher because it's got the garlic in it as well. So you soak these white cotton socks in this pickle juice, wring them out just enough so it's not super drippy, put it on the feet, and then put, cover them with pure, real wool, 100% wool socks, that will pull the heat out through the body in a safe way. Because see, what happens is as soon as the body starts to get a bacterial infection or a viral infection, the, the, the whole body shuts down as far as the digestive juices stop being secreted, the blood rushes to the internal organs so as to protect them, and the body just wants to stop because it kind of goes into a panic. By giving the belladonna the body feels empowered, so to speak. And it says, oh, I can get through this. I can steep up my vital force and I can get through this. But it still, has, it still allows that fever to fight what's going on. But the pickle socks will help pull it out through the bottoms of the feet, the safest way to get rid of a fever or any kind of toxin or anything else because it's pulling it away from all the vital organs. So anyway, this young lady did that. She, when the next time the child ran the fever, she, started, she gave the aconite, started giving the belladonna. And I think she called her mom in the middle of the night. And she says, these socks were drying out every 20 minutes because his fever was so high. And so she would just re-soak them, reapply them. In the middle of the night, the fever broke. By morning, the kid was, was good. She's like, oh my gosh, mom, I can't believe it. And, I don't, and he never got a fever again after that. Because that mom, and she was scared to death. This is, you know, like I said, she, she was very afraid. That's why I say she called her mom in the middle of the night. But she got through it even though it was very, very scary, worked with the child through the night, and once his body could bring back that fever that it had been trying to bring back every single time that they would suppress with drugs, he brought the fever back and got rid of it naturally and never had it again. So that's what happens with homeopathy, and I'm not telling moms it's not kind of scary at the beginning. You know, I remember when I first started using homeopathy full-time, my, um, my baby was six months old, and a flu a really bad influenza-type flu went through. And my three-year-old at that time had it for four days, and he ran a fever. We get really high fevers in our house. We have that typhoid miasm, and my, if it's my class out there listening to me, they'll know what I'm talking about. But the, the fevers can get really, really high. I know there are certain miasms that if the fever gets 102, the kid can go into convulsions, but <laughs> that's not my family. 105, 106, we're still good, still talking to mom. But my son's fever ran 105 up, up and down, so it was an intermittent-type fever for, for three or four full days. And we worked with it. I gave him belladonna. I just made sure he didn't get dehydrated. And for a small child, one teaspoon of water an hour will keep a child from getting dehydrated. So my rule of thumb is a small child, I give one teaspoon of grape juice, one teaspoon of water, and make sure they get that down and without throwing up, and that'll keep them from being dehydrated. So that's my son, that was his story, he was in no other symptoms, just a really high fever, no sore throat, no tummy ache, no anything. 
but it was still scary because I just sat with them and we watched movies and and then lo and behold, he no more than got over it and my six-month-old baby got sick. And I'm like, ah, I'm nursing this child. Why would she get this high fever? And it was very scary, but I had just gotten through it with my three-year-old. So I was working, you know, my, my baby, but she got to the point where she was so weak. In the middle of the night, I, I even woke my husband. I says, she won't even nurse anymore. So I was using an eyedropper to f- make sure she got her liquids. And she would swallow, but I was giving her the grape ju- organic grape juice and... And mineral water alternating. I didn't give her mineral water. I just gave her good spring water. Alternating. So she was getting at least two teaspoons an hour. And finally, after the, on the third day, the third or fourth day, I said to my husband, okay, her fever was down to 101 now because it had gone up to 106. And, but she was still responding to me, and she, she wasn't dehydrated. I could in, you know, push on her skin. Because if you take a baby and you push on their skin, like on their leg or on their arm... As long as it doesn't stay indented, because if they're getting dehydrated, it'll stay, it'll dent, and it'll stay dented for that, that brief moment. So she was good. I was watching for all that dehydration, the symptoms. Like I said, she was still responding to me, but she didn't want to eat. She didn't at all. And so finally on the fourth day that morning, I said to my husband, I'm taking her in. <laughs> I'm so scared. Her favorite was down to 101, but I said, I just want to make sure there's nothing secondary going on. Took her to the doctor. And so I was still a young, stupid mother at the time. And so the doctor says, oh, my gosh, how sick has this baby been? And I told him, and I, <laughs> you know, my three-year-old was really sick, and he had all this. And then when she got sick, I said, just brought her in to make sure there's no secondary infections going on. And he says, uh, what have you been doing for her? I says, well, I've just been giving her belladonna and just making sure, and giving her grape juice and water alternating. He looked at me and says, you've been giving her what? And I said, belladonna. He says, I haven't heard of belladonna in years. And I'm like, oh, no, no, because they used to use belladonna bricks. You know, like for people with pleurisy and pneumonia, things like that, they would put just the whole belladonna brick and the body would respond to that energy to heal. But I says, no, no, I'm using homeopathy. He goes, oh, okay. So he checks her all over and... So he gets, he's done. He says, okay, her, her ears are inflamed, but they're not infected. He said, kid's healthy. He says, I can't believe you've kept her, you know, this healthy. And he says, I could give her an antibiotic if you want, but otherwise just take her home and keep doing what you're doing. So I said, oh, okay, thank you. I'll take her home and keep doing what I'm doing. I got home and within 12 hours, then she snapped out of it and she was good. But I needed that reassurance myself. And I had a doctor I trusted, you know. And so... I tell moms, don't be afraid. I mean, if you have a doctor, I always have a doctor that I trust. They're a little unorthodox in many ways, but I know that if I take my child in, you know, they're going to give me the benefit of the doubt and work with me. Um, Nowadays, I know my one doctor, he actually quit being, uh, he was my delivery doctor for the last several kids. But he only works emergency rooms now because he says, I just don't want to be in the system. He says, it's just... You don't, you're not a doctor anymore. Anybody can stand here and punch in symptoms and let Big Brother tell you what has to be done. He says, I just don't want to be a part of that. So find a doctor. I actually have another country doctor that if anything, whatever, flare up, we could take, because she's not in the system. But as far as I say, in the system, she has her own practice and she doesn't rely. She's not in her own, she has her own clinic and she doesn't have to, um, she doesn't take insurance. She's just cash only, but she's a regular medical doctor, you know, in good standing and everything like that, but... So anyway, I always tell moms, find a good doctor you trust. So anyway, that's how I got, you know, really involved in homeopathy. After you see a couple, three miracles, like my son with meningitis, and then finding out that, you know, the belladonna cured him, and two boys in the same town my husband worked with died of viral meningitis. It wasn't on the news, you know, wasn't on the radio or even in the newspaper, but the guys at work told them, yeah, the school districts have been closed down for two weeks because two boys had died of viral meningitis. Because, like I said, viral meningitis, antibiotics aren't going to touch it. You know, if it's, if it's bacterial, certainly the antibiotics will take, you know, get it under control very quickly, but not viral. So antibiotics don't fix viruses. <laughs> but that's when, you know, like I say, we've seen a few miracles. Um, my husband with his, you know, kidney stones, he's like, okay, I'm a believer now. You know, I didn't have to have this back surgery the doctors told me I needed. It was just kidney stones. And, and the belladonna even helped with that because it will take a sphincter. You know, like you have the ducts that dump directly into the bloodstream. Belladonna will open those sphincters from their natural four millimeters to 10 millimeters because that's what belladonna does. It's a dilator. And it, like I said, it interrupts virus. It dilates sphincters. It's an amazing remedy. We talked about that just a little while ago. 
Don't ever be without belladonna because it's an absolutely amazing remedy. But what we have in Homeopathy for Mommies, it's at the beginning of the book, it, it tells a lot about, you have, it tells my little stories, of course, what homeopathy is, how to distinguish the different potencies, why you use an X potency versus a C potency, the, how they're made, the difference between how they're made. I like to stay with, for acute treatments, I like to stay with X potencies and a low C potency, like a 30C or a 6C or a 12C, but I use a lot of 12X potencies and a lot of 30X potencies for acutes. Because when you're dealing with acute, meaning a uh, illness or an injury that has come on very quickly, that's very organic in the sense that it's affected the body. And so if something has affected the body, if you use a low potency, the body's gonna respond very quickly. When you use a C potency or a higher C potency, the mind responds more first, and then it'll send it out to the body. So like in symptoms of shock and things like that, yeah, I will use a higher C potency because the mind is what you really wanna fix right away anyway. Then it'll send out to the body what it wants it to do. Because you have to remember that our mind, body, spirit are all one. We're one person, but we all, all three parts of us act independently of each other in the sense that the mind is always gonna be in charge in the sense that it has to tell the body what to do. Every time it's a f exposed to a virus or a bacteria, exposed to a shock or a tremendous stress, the mind says, I can't handle this. I, I've just been exposed, I don't know what to do about it. I need to tell the body what to do. So you've got the fight or flight response for many people. Other people you have, they will actually succumb to the illness or disease. They will faint, go into shock, all these different things, these different reactions. But each one is individual in the sense that the mind has told the body what to do. So the mind tells the body what to do and it'll throw these symptoms outward if it's healthy. If the, body, if the mind is healthy, it'll throw them out to the body as a, in the form of a symptom. And so I always tell folks, you know, if you, if you ever, I worked in a nursing home and when I was a kid, and I would stand back and I would just kind of watch and I would observe. I say a kid, I was 16. I started working there, I was 15. I worked there off and on until I was 20-some. But I always stand back and I'd just watch and the, what we called the crazy people, you know, the ones that didn't know who their family was, the ones that didn't know where they were, you know, sometimes they would be restrained in a chair. Other times they were allowed to walk around and about. They were, they, you could call them by name and you could say hi and they'd nod and keep walking, but they had no clue where they were, what they were doing. Their bodies were pretty darned healthy. And then you took the little sweet old lady sitting in the, all crippled up in the wheelchair. Well, hi, dearie, how are you today? Oh, how's that baby doing? Their minds were just as strong as, a, as can be, but their bodies were a mess. The difference between the crazies walking around with a healthy body and the crippled old lady sitting in the chair is every single thing that they were ever exposed to in their life, their mind, if they were crazy, wasn't, ha I say they're crazy now, but their mind wasn't healthy enough to throw it externally in the form of a symptom. And so it basically broke. So a lot of times you'll see people that, that endured a horrible trauma when they were very small. They suppressed it for 80, 90 years, and then suddenly they could know their vitality was no longer strong enough to suppress that, so their mind snapped. And then they were now the crazy walking up and down the halls. They would wave. They weren't usually violent. They were just there. <laughs> and then you have these crippled old ladies who had a nice, strong constitution. The minds were strong, but whatever they were exposed to, whether it be viral, bacterial, emotional, trauma, whatever then their mind would throw it externally in the form of a symptom, very often in the form of arthritis or you know, heart disease or whatever they had. So that's the mind's way of getting rid of it, to keep that mind strong. Get rid of it, throw it out, tell the external people what you need. So when people come to me and say, oh, I have this, 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 and that, you know, they don't realize that they've probably been suppressing a whole bunch of different stuff for a whole lot of years, and so they have all these different symptoms. But if we start using these, the homeopathic remedies with our children when they're young, you address the situation when it comes up, when it arises, it's an acute situation. That acute situation is gonna resolve itself naturally because the mind, through that symptom externally, mom looks at the child and says, hmm, let me see, fever with the symptom of feels like throwing up but doesn't type of thing. You know, you can use Ipecac or whatever remedy comes up with your, your little search here. 
Mom gives that remedy, child gets better, nothing's been suppressed, child gets over it naturally. Now his constitution is stronger for it, and it's not going to suppress it, so it becomes chronic down the road. And that's how homeopathy works, and moms, you know, like say, it's kind of scary when you first start using it because it's hard to believe this is really going to trigger the body to heal itself, but it does. And Sue was sitting here, and she was just saying, okay, yes, we have the homeopathy for mommy's hardcover book, which I like to sit and peruse because it's, um, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, touch and feel type person. I'm not very techie. And, but a lot of the moms are techie, and they just whip this out on their phone, and if you have the download of the book, and I think it's on sale right now, I'm not sure. Uh, so if you go online and download it, whether it be on your Kindle, your computer, your phone, I think you get all three numbers, so you can download it on all of them. And then if anything comes up, like say headache, every single remedy in this book that has anything to do with headache, it's gonna pop up in, you know, in the, the, when you scroll down. Cause, so maybe 70 different things will, will pop up. And you look, go to that part of the book, and it'll say headache with rash or whatever. That's just not really true. But you can look at that more closely if that's, those are the symptoms. Or headache, frontal headache, or headache in the occiput, or you know, whatever. And you look at that and say, ah, my child has a headache. It's not in the front, it's in the back. Or you know, this is the difference between a bryonia and a gelsemium headache, just the location. And so that's what you learn when you start using homeopathy for mommies is everything is very specific that symptom, where it throws it out, what's it feel like? And it's funny because it'll say in this book, and that's one of the words I'm gonna put back in there, is it'll say headache, throbbing headache, is a huge one for belladonna, because belladonna always has that throbbing sensation. And it doesn't matter you know, what part of the body it's in. Anyway, because belladonna is also really famous for um, appendicitis. And the funny thing about appendicitis is it's usually, and I don't care who it hits, but it's usually suppressed anger that will allow the body to throw that out in the form of appendicitis. But regardless of all that, if you ask a child, what does it feel like? He's not going to say throbbing. Oh, mom, I have this throbbing headache. He's going to say, I don't know. It's beeping. It's beeping. I have a lot of my grandkids now. It's beeping, grandma. (laughs) So you know to give that belladonna. So it's very fun. But so beeping is one of the words I'm going to have to put in here next time because I get, that's, that's the, main, um, the, the main thing kids will say, it's beeping. It's really fun. But each remedy, the funny thing about it is I just had an older man ask me this this morning, why doesn't, because he's taking a particular remedy for a particular issue, but the label doesn't say that that's what he's taking it for. Why don't these labels say this? <sighs> And the answer to that question is, I have this 200 and some page book. I could literally write a book this big on each and every individual remedy. So as it turns out, the FDA has been trying harder and harder and harder to get control of the homeopathic industry. And so a few years ago, they mandated that each remedy had to be labeled with like six keywords. And I'll have people come into my store and they'll say, "Um, what remedy do you recommend for this? And I'll say, oh, I would try, you know, there's a handful of remedies you could try, but this is the first thing I would try, because you know, you're seeing it right there, they give you three sentences, and they want you to pick a remedy for them. And I say, this is the number one remedy for what you're describing. I would try it, because they'll say, well, I have this nasal, and you know, I have like nasal infection, and they'll say, kind of gross, but what colors your snot when you blow? Ah, they just, you know, and they'll tell me, and I'll say, then let's try this one, or let's try this one. And so, but they'll say, well, that's not what's wrong with me, and I'll say, I know. And then you have to explain to them, you know, that the FDA mandates those words. So anyway, so this, this man, he asked me about this, and I says, I know, it doesn't say that specifically on the bottle, but trust me, this is what you need at this point of, you know, for your, for your illness. But that's how homeopathy works in that way. FDA, like I said, mandates that. Now they're mandating that it have um, a date on it. I don't know how much time they give it, but I know if you're buying remedies in a plastic vial, yes, you have 14 months until you can figure that it's so permeable that the remedies will be canceled um, because plastic is permeable and the air will affect it. You know, the changing air will affect it. And if it's in brown glass, then it's, and it's sealed tight and it's not been heated to more than 140 degrees, that remedy will be good for all time. So, like I said, don't ignore what's on the label. Just be aware that that's just a, f- a f- 
tiny, tiny tip of the iceberg as to what that remedy is really good for. Because we look at the language in homeopathy. And I say the language because in homeopathy, um, Fleece asked me to talk about this a little bit. She says, you're always talking about sensations or good for this or good for that. And yes, each remedy has its specific things that it's quite famous for. But beyond that, it can be, it can actually, the clinicals that each remedy can actually help the body to overcome, it can be anywhere from three to 130 different clinical issues. And so, but the language specific to each remedy is always going to be the same, whether it's acute or chronic. But like, for instance, I just opened the book here to Coculus. Coculus indicus is basically Indian cocklebur, but this remedy is famous as the nurse's or caregiver's remedy. And so the first thing if somebody says, oh my gosh, my mom just died and I just haven't been the same since. And I'll say, oh, she's like, oh my gosh. She says, it was terrible for six months. I was caring for her and I was so exhausted and I just haven't, I just can't get back to myself. I, I just can't give this remedy. You can give it in a 30C because obviously her vitality is very weakened at this point because she's been caring for her ill mother and she just can't get back. So you give it in a 30C and her whole world will change. She'll snap back to what she was prior to having cared for her mother. If the organic changes haven't already taken place. But if they have, you can give it again a couple more times and it's going to start to bring that back. And the, the vitality will start to come back. And then when you're confident, you can give it in 200. But remedies like this, it's just amazing how the body responds and just starts to heal itself. And oddly enough, coculus is also like the seasick type remedy. And I remember, uh, I think eight years ago, I sent my husband and all uh, my sons were going to go to Alaska fishing. Okay, like go out on a chartered boat and deep, deep sea fish. And so my husband called me because the seven-year-old was throwing up on the airplane. And I says, what? Honey, I gave you a detailed kit and I put directions how to use these things. <laughs> Give him a dose of coculus. Because he, he was still very sick after he got off the plane. He just, you know, I don't feel good, daddy. And so he gave him a dose of this and snapped him right out of it. And he says, no, don't forget, when you go out on that boat, they're going out in a couple of days. And that's why in Homeopathy for Mommy's book, you'll see this boat here. And so he gave it just before they went out. And my son never got sick. Now, this is the kid who just couldn't even take the airplane ride, you know? <laughs> it was amazing. And so they, because they fished all day long. It was, oh, yeah, halibut and lingcod and, yeah. It's, so anyway... That remedy, so it's famous for, as a caregiver's remedy, it's famous for being seasick. And it's, it's really funny because the sensations of, you know, seasick or vertigo, because like in homeopathy, they go with the medical, you know, terms of many things. But like the vertigo of the, um, the coculus remedy, like I had one woman who, I actually took her case because she had some things going on. But anyway, she says, I'm fine until I lay down in bed and as soon as I lay down and close my eyes, my whole world starts spinning. She's not spinning. Her whole world is spinning. It was just, it was, it was just amazing. Anyways, it turned out this was her remedy chronically, not just acutely. So the language doesn't change. It's just that to discover the language, to go deep enough into a person's psyche to get their, their chronic language, you know, that's where you would want to rely on a homeopath. But oddly enough, a lot of people will come to me and say, you know, I was just taking care of this this issue, and everything else went away. You know, they're treating an acute issue and all the chronic stuff started going away. And that's the way homeopathy works because there's no difference between acute remedies and chronic remedies. It's just that if you think you're going to treat something chronically, you know, it, like I said, it's better to know, have someone help you so that, you know, because you can treat it acutely, it goes away, and then suddenly it, it's either back again or it's not getting any better anymore. That's then a chronic issue. The acute remedies have been working, but now you need a remedy that is specific to you and this, your personality, your, the, your language, your specific language. Your, what's, so we call it that trigger remedy or the constitutional. A lot of people have different names for it. Kent coined it constitutional. And so that seems to be the, the primary term for your remedy. I'm not so quick to call it constitutional because that kind of got twisted in the sense that Kent called it a constitutional because it was usually a hereditary disposition, and that's not always the case anymore because we have such suppressed diseases 
that it's really hard to find that hereditary constitution like right off the get-go type of thing. Very often, I, when I'm, I know when I'm doing chronic case-taking, very often we'll use a remedy and it will start working and everything will be going really just great. And then suddenly it's, it just doesn't seem to be working anymore. Then we'll go back and find their hereditary constitution or their bowel nose or whatever just to cinch the case. So, but that's, that's, that's chronic case-taking. So that's not what we're doing here. <laughs> but I want people to know that chronic issues can be cleaned up. It just takes a little longer. And um, So when you go through homeopathy for mommies, there's like 82 different remedies or 81 different remedies. And then there's the cell salts. And the cell salts are, there's 12 individual remedies. Um, and they're listed in this book. A lot of people use what they call bioplasma. I think, is it ABC or 1-800-HOMEOPATHY coined it bioplasma? Um, and that's just a combination of all the 12 cell salts. And a lot of people use those for what we call general maintenance. But each one, and they can be combined because what the cell salts are in the end of the book, and they, Schussler, back in the 50s, um, found that he wanted to know about what the body makeup was. And when a cremated body it was broken down, there's 12 elements that the body is made of, 12 minerals. And they are what we call today the cell salts. They are all organic minerals that the body is made up of. And so combined, they're called the cell salts. Individually, they can be purchased individually. I sell them in my store, I think, and um, that's another thing. <laughs> the FDA has mandated they can no longer be sold in this country, lower than a 12X. Um, we always used to use them in a 3X or a 6X. So, you know, we play with that too. But, <laughs> yeah, the lower, you, uh, the lower potency you go, the more organic it is. The body responds very organically to it. So if you could ever find a 3X or a 6X, that's the way to go. But for that general maintenance type situation. But they, what they do is, I'll give the example of like, if you, I don't know what page Natmer is. Natrum muraticum, where is Natmer? Natmer is sodium chloride. And so a lot of the remedies, everything is in Latin, you know, like when you're, like Kelly, like you have Kelly self, which is potassium sulfate. And then you have like Natmer, which is sodium chloride. Everything in the, like all the salts, you have your magnesiums, your potassiums, your sodiums, they're all salts. And in nature, God designed salts that they have, they're an individual element, but in nature, you'll never find them single. So, because you have the anion and the cation of each salt, so to speak. So if you have sodium, or if you have just, yeah, the sodium, in nature, you'll always find it bound to another element, like chloride, okay? So that's regular table salt. And... So together, they nourish the body, they regulate um, the functions of each cell. Every cell in your body has to have sodium chloride. If it doesn't, it can't read salt properly. So I'll have a lot of people say, oh, I can't have salt. My daughter, doctor told me not to eat salt because I have high blood pressure. Well, as a homeopath and a naturopath, I know that for whatever reason, their body isn't reading the sodium like it's supposed to. So yeah, they have the effects of like high blood pressure or something else going on. So in that instance, I would suggest that they take NatSelf in a 30, 30X potency. Suddenly, their body starts reading the sodium properly because that, that cell salt has triggered their body to know how to use the sodium that they're taking in. It's very dangerous for these people running around Oh, can't have salt. The body needs salt. It needs salt to function. And without it, it's just going to be a, a domino effect of things going wrong as well without that sodium. I don't suggest that people have iodized salt or even just straight sea salt. Like, for instance, even in my store, I use all Himalayan salt for all my cooking. You know, or Redmond salt, which is, is also rich in minerals, you know, from, like, uh, I think it's, it's in the States. It comes from the States here. Redmond salt's very good, but I do still use the... the um, the Himalayan salt because of the, it's, I don't know, I really like it. <laughs> I actually eat, the first time I tasted it a few years ago, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my goodness, that's so delicious. And I went back and I tasted just regular sea salt and it's like, whoa, that was salty. But see what happens is when you're taking in like the Himalayan or the Redmond salt, the body, it's so rich in all the minerals that your body needs that your body responds to them. I know I had watched this one Spanish guy talking about how, the America doesn't know what good water is. 
But anyway, he said that if in America, if you, can't, if you don't have access to really good, rich spring water, which is rich in minerals, he says, then you need to take your reverse osmosis water and add back, what is it, a teaspoon of, of Himalaya, or Himalayan per gallon. Yeah, or half a teaspoon per gallon. I'd have to go back. I've talked about that on one of my podcasts before. But now I just actually go get regular spring water to have because we live in town. But it has to be rich in minerals. And your body, the funny thing about it is they're colloidal when you're getting it in, in water like that and your body can absorb it very quickly. And so this, the good salt, like the Himalayan, then that's good for you. And so your body is reading that very organically. And so the cell salts, whenever there's something out of balance, you take that cell salt like somebody has like really cracked skin. Then you can think of potassium sulfite, and that's calisulf. And that's going to trigger the body to say, hey, get some more fluid out there, heal up those cracks. That's just the body's way of doing it. And so that's why we use the cell salts a lot for general maintenance, because it really helps keep those, the cellular structure of your, each cell in your whole body functioning the way it's supposed to. So I, there's, a, there's pages in the back of the book to talk about cell salts, and you could obviously do some more research on each of those, because the cell salts are studying them of their own. We do talk about the cell salts. I think I have a class or course on that too. <laughs> not, oh, I have a like podcast. That's it. I have a couple of podcasts that really break it down well for people. But in, in homeopathy, like I said, St. Benedict, back 1,500 years ago, taught his seminarians that if you want to know a man, listen to him, but for five minutes, and he will give away his heart. I tell people I'm not a saint, so it takes me a couple hours to get the good language to heal the chronic. But people always say, what kind of homeopath are you? And I'm classic in the sense that I like to give one remedy at a time unless I'm doing like cleanup work and sometimes we'll use alternating remedies or very often like Luke de Shepard, um, even like Compton Burnett, we talk about the immunization cleanup. He said take Thuya um, to nullify the harmful effects of vaccinations. And then 50 years later, Von Gravogel added, he said, yes, that works, but let's add nat sulf, which is a cell salt, that helps to open up the detox pathways of the liver so that the body can more efficiently get rid of that vaccination garbage. So now we use thuya and net self alternating so that the body can more efficiently get rid of the, the harmful effects. So very often I will give duos or trios of remedies in an alternating fashion because they complement the action of each other and they help the body to get rid of certain things. So, but for the most part, um, once we get cleanup done, then one remedy is what the body's going to respond to. And everyone has to remember, because I actually have people email me and they say, okay, I want to do this, but you have me take, want me to do this remedy. What do you think I should do? And I'll say, you know, um, let's do the most important thing first, because the body can only do one thing at a time. It can only heal one thing at a time. You know the old saying, you know, my dad used to say, I would go, Dad, this hurts, or I have a tummy ache, or whatever. And he'd say, well, tell you what, you go get the hammer, Susie. Get over here. We'll smash your thumb, and I'll make you forget about, you know, the other thing. And I'd say, no, and run away, and you'd be fine, right? But that's exactly what happens. The body can only read or do one thing at a time. And it's always going to take care of the most important thing first, if it has any sense about it at all, which most of us still do. <laughs> but like say... How many people come in and they'll say, oh, wait a minute, I have this, and oh, I always have a problem with this too, but it's not happening at that time. You see what I'm saying? They only have one issue at a time, but they can think about other things that have been going on in the last six months. And the funny thing is, is whatever the main issue is, that's going to be what the body wants to clean up first. It's going to take care of the most important thing first, the life-saving issue first. That's why so many people, you know, I mean, it's really sad to say I'm going to be doing... I'm, we're going to be putting up our birthing course here shortly. But so many people have like pregnancy problems or they can't get pregnant or they can't carry a uh, pregnancy. What's happening is our bodies, we're, we're not healthy like we should be. And it's uh, through no fault of our own. It's things we're being exposed to, uh, not of our own will, but even just in the, the environment and, and issues like that. So what happens is the body says, I can't carry this pregnancy. I'm not healthy enough to carry this pregnancy or it simply won't allow the body to get pregnant because it's not healthy enough. So it's going to shut down that reproductive area first, because that's the least important part about surviving. So that's why there's so many issues in that direction lately. And so, you know, like I said, the body, one thing at a time. Just remember that. And, um, you know, 
The main thing is, is stress. For the average person, stress kills. It's real. <laughs> it absolutely does because when people come in and say, oh, things are going so good, and then this happened, and that's their trigger. And it was a very stressful time in their life, and everything, like I said, that whole domino effect to get to the point where they're at when they finally come and sit in front of me. And so we need to, you know, it's just, what was that trigger? What was the language of that trigger? So that's very chronic in that sense, but at the same time, if they haven't got a lot of organic damage done, it can be very acute as well. So when you read through the homeopathic remedies of homeopathy for mommies, we talk about that, you know? We talk about the, like I said, the caregiver's remedy that we just talked about ever since I took care of mom or whatever. And kathia, kathia crude, very interesting. I had one young man, I can't sleep, I can't sleep. I'm so excited, can't wait till we get to go tomorrow, whatever. It's like, oh, seriously, okay, give him kathia. Because he was super, super, super excited and because he was pretty young, I gave it in a 200. The next day he gets up, what did you give me? Can I get some more tonight? <laughs> he said it was so much fun, he just went right to sleep, you know. That language is there. And it's even if, you, if I took somebody's case, I, I actually did see um, Dinesh Chowan take a case, a coffee case. Very, very fun. The kid was like eight or 10 years old. It was really, it was hilarious. And yes, he had a level of energy that was just amazing. The, like, for instance, Colosynth. And, and you, once you start reading these books, you start to get a sense for these remedies. And I tell my students, we're doing a, a, a live webinar, and it's really, really fun. Because I tell them, I says, always notice, is the remedy that you're looking at and reading about, is it a plant, is it a mineral, or is it an animal? Because each of these as well, for acutes, we very often use plants, sometimes minerals. But I said, take note. Is it a plant, mineral, or animal? And then on top of that, notice you know what plant family it comes from because that group of plant families will always have the same type of language later when you get really really good at using homeopathy then you're going to start to notice the different miasms that they belong to and that's for another whole big class but it's very it's very interesting because like colosynth is in the same group of remedies that bryonia is and bryonia is a remedy that we use for like swollen joints and for the headache, that frontal headache of the flu. But Colosynth and Bryonia both have that same, you know, bend forward. Um, they have anything with the tummy. Everything is better when they bend forward. And that's a main subject in that, in that plant family. And another interesting thing is because they're both creepy crawly plants, we have wild hops and then we have this bitter cucumber. So they both have that creepy vine. And so and people who, this is very constitutional in the sense that this is their remedy. I'll say, so what, is, what does that headache feel like or that stomach ache feel like? Well, you know, like somebody's pulling on a string. <laughs> like, you have to pretend you know what they're talking about, even though it doesn't, you know, like somebody pulling a string. And, and that's one of the main like, languages of that particular remedy. And people really will say that. I, I remember reading that in Kent like you know, 20 years ago. I'm like, nobody would ever really say that. Guess what? They do. It's very interesting. But you will start to, get it, you'll start to understand that these families of plants and these different minerals, and these diff they all have that same language. And, they, and so a lot of times you know, when I was first studying, you would find, OK, when a remedy doesn't hold, OK, it works initially, but it doesn't hold is it, it can be that maybe you're in the right plant family, but it's the wrong miasm, or it's just a different remedy within that same plant family that you need to be looking at. So sometimes, you know, like I've had, like colosynth is often a remedy for like women with menstrual problems. And so you can get really close, they can take bryonia or colosynth, and vice versa, and it works really well, but it doesn't hold. Then you can look at the other remedy, and, and that'll take care of it then. It's very interesting how the body responds because it's close, but no cigar, so to speak. So, and as I say, I tell people, I says, you know, no, very few people can hit it dead on every single time. And so this is a main issue nowadays, even on the internet, people saying, you know, it's coming out, oh, don't use homeopathy, it's dangerous. It's like when you are giving remedies at 30C and below, oh my gosh, you're not gonna hurt anyone. Either the body's gonna read it or it's not. It's like being exposed to, like I said, the coffee table. 
you know, I'm, I feel warmth for that, but uh, maybe hickory would be a little bit better. I'd respond better to hickory rather than oak or vice versa. It's not going to hurt me. I'm just not going to respond to it like I should. So, and the same with homeopathic remedies. I can take a homeopathic remedy, unless I keep taking it, if I took it every single day, three times a day for nine days, I'm going to start proving that remedy if I don't need it. In other words, I'm going to, I will start to develop symptoms, but as soon as they would stop, it would go away, because that's how provings were done. They would take that remedy until they started to develop symptoms of the original plant itself, and then they would stop once they've proved it really well. And so... No one's going to sit and take a homeopathic remedy more than a few hours if it's not working. If it's working, great. Take it when you think you need it again. And that's why people say, well, how many times a day am I supposed to take this? And then that's really hard gauge. That's why no homeopathic remedy comes with directions. It'll say take as directed or needed. And so when you take a homeopathic remedy, if you take two or three doses and you aren't feeling better or you're, you don't feel happier or you don't feel like you're getting better it's not going to be a good remedy for you to just find something different. It's not going to hurt you because your body's not reading it. And it's, according to the FDA, an inert sugar pellet when we know it's just really carrying the megahertz or the energy of the original tincture. And if your body's not responding, it's not the right remedy. So I've given remedies, like I said, to sick patients, and they might immediately say, oh, thank you. And then their fever will spike. Well, that's an aggravation, a physical aggravation. But as long as the mind says, thank you, or I feel better, then you can be on, it could be the right remedy. It probably is the right remedy because the mind will always respond first. And, and like I said, I know this all sounds complicated and sounds kind of scary and I'll never get this, but it's really, really easy. You know, like I said, start with three or four remedies that you're comfortable with. I think we put out a podcast a month or two ago how to clean out your medicine cabinet, and then just replace the things in your medicine cabinet with a few remedies and start there. And so I think at that time we suggested like, you know, 10 or 15 remedies to start with because it's easy to start small and then graduate as, as you're going on. But honestly, I think we have this, what we call the small personal kit, and it's got 16 remedies in it in the Belladonna, Aconite, Arnica. There are, there are three of them in there, but I, we have other really good ones like the gelsemium and bryonia and things that like if you hurt and fall your you know the knee swells up take the bryonia type of thing and and stuff like that but as you learn them it's really really fun and in the homeopathy for mommy's crash course we go through the homeopathy for mommy's book and we go through each and every individual remedy what it's famous for what the language is what the sensation of that is in other words mommy it hurts it feels like it's beeping or you know my um, I have a tummy ache and it feels like somebody's stabbing me with a knife. You know, and it, it explains in this book that if somebody says they feel like they're being stabbed with a knife, very often that's an infection going on. And so when we have infection, I, um, I found, this is kind of funny, I found this out the hard way, but I have what I call my infection protocol. And it's just remedies that are famous for infection and the first time I realized the difference, because I know that Hepersulf is really good for infection, and I know Mercurius is really good for infection, but I didn't really, it didn't really dawn on me at the time that, about the, the symptoms of each. So my granddaughter had um, developed strep throat, and they were actually staying with us for the weekend or whatever, and I says, oh, no biggie. You know, let's, so we gave her Mercurius and Pyrogenium, which I like to give because when the blood is affected by a particular bacteria, or you're going to notice kind of an odor. And that odor is very, hmm, honey, just, just take the remedy over here. Don't breathe on grandma type of thing. And so pyrogenium, because that is indicative of infection as well. And then I always give silica, silica in like a 6C, because that's going to help the body get rid of it and kick it out. So those three remedies are infection remedies. But mercurius should only really be used if the, the skin is moist. If the skin is dry, use Hepersulf. So with my granddaughter, she had the strep throat, and immediately she just started feeling better. She was getting better, bouncing around, you know, for about 10 hours. And then I said, Mommy, I don't feel good. And sure enough, her fever was coming back. And I'm like, this always works. So and then I, I said, oh, my gosh. Yes. You know what? Her skin is dry. Let's give Hepersulf. So we switched. We kept her on the pyrogenium and the silica, switched to the Hepersulf, and she just got better. So... And it's, like I said, it's absolutely amazing. Now, if the, obviously, when the lymph 
glands are involved, I like to always throw phytoloca into the mix because it really has an affinity for that glandular system, and especially if the ear is um, affected as well. So, I don't know. I'm going to actually ask a couple. I'm going to ask if anyone has any questions because, like I said, I just really want this to be a really short, you know, how to use homeopathy for your kids, um, little podcast. And so, if you you have any questions? Okay, her question was, a lot of people think, say start out with a dry dose and then go to a wet dose. So your wet dose is one pellet in how much water? Just maybe a cup of water. So, and then to give the wet dose after having given the dry dose. Well, like I said, I cannot stress this enough that every single homeopath is going to have their own style and their own way of doing things. I am very old-fashioned in the sense that I give dry doses almost always continuously through an illness, unless it's, I'll start out with the dry dose. If they um, have like a respiratory issue, then I almost always use essential oils as well, because essential oils really help to nourish the respiratory system. And so when that happens, I'll give them one or two doses, dry doses with my homeopathic pellets. I will go and make a water dilution. So I take a bottle of water, any size, put one to four pellets in it, shake it, label it, and because that's what I want to give the kids. And if I'm actually going to follow, like for instance, if, I'm, if they, I feel like they're getting like a bronchitis or a pneumonia type thing, I'll give them a, a dose of phosphorus, um, for, or if I'm giving them like Hepersol, or whatever I'm giving, I'll label it. If I'm going to give silica as well, I'll make another bottle with silica in it, and I'll label it. I've actually had kids on their sick bed with two and three bottles of water labeled with that remedy. Then I start using the, the essential oils because I don't want to use the, um, I don't want to open the essential oils in the house after, or the homeopathic remedies after I've started using essential oils. If I do, I go outside and open them up or I go down in the basement because, you know, odors go up. So I'll go down in the basement or whatever to, to use a new remedy and put it in water. That's really the only time I use the water dilutions versus the dry is if I'm using the essential oils. Because what happens is as soon as I give a dry dose and you dilute that down, it does drive it, in, it, does drive it deeper into the body, but most of the time they don't need that. If it's just an acute situation, they don't need it to go deeper into the system. So I keep it at the X potency level or a low C level. And so, um, because it's not, it's like something they've just been exposed to or whatever. Um, a lot of times, like my chronic people, I have them start with a dry dose. If they aggravate, then we go to water dilution because it, it softens it and so that it doesn't cause so much aggravation with the vitality. But other than that, no, I keep it dry all the time, you know. Um, but yeah, I like to put my kids down, let them watch a good movie and take their remedies and call me if they need a new pops, juice popsicle or something, you know, but... No, I like I say that's total style between homeopaths, and I and I I'm I'm not going to sit here and say there's no right or wrong way of doing it. I think there are some ways that are more efficient, especially for certain people. You know, for an older person, I might do it that way, but for kids, I just keep it pretty low. So, and any more questions? Absolutely. She asked if a wet dose would be a good way to be frugal. Yes, in the front of the homeopathy for mommy's book, and it says epidemic and flu, you know, I, when people buy kits, they say, oh, they're so expensive, you know, to buy a kit. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> I remember when I bought my first kits. But I, and the worst part is, is I tend to be like, oh, no, 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 just take it home. Just take it home. Use it as you need it. When I realized that you could just take a water bottle and put, you know, one to four pellets in that water bottle, succuss it label it and hand it to your kid to take home to give to their kids. Yeah, that's way more frugal because now you still have your remedy in your kit and they're still going to get their treatment at home. And I know, I remember talking to one homeopath one time, says, you know, if everybody had a kit in every, every community, they would be able to treat the entire community with their one little one dram bottle of pellets because they could give everybody one pellet in their little bottle of water to take home. And on top of that... If that water bottle started to get low, as long as you still have some in the bottom of that, you could add more water to it. You know, so Hahnemann taught that you cannot dilute something down so far that it will not have an effect. So, and people don't believe me, but I had a 70-gallon water tank for my horses, and I wormed my horses every six months with a, take a quart jar, 
put four pellets of the warmer that I had, and I would succuss it, leave it under the tree, and I would use that bottle for a few days, you know, because it's in the sh under the shade tree. And I would use that bottle. And the kids would pour two, two to three tablespoons of, you know, just pour it out of the jar. And they use the hose to stir up the water good. And our horses, because we used to have a lot of horses. <laughs> and I was down at the vet every, because I didn't know about homeopathy. And I would go and I'd have to buy ivermectin or whatever kind of, you know, antibiotic. And you want to rotate them because parasites get smart. So one tube per horse every was every eight weeks. So we had seven horses, each, each tube cost $11, so every eight weeks I was, you know, 80 bucks worth of warmer. And literally to the day, as soon as the eight weeks was up, those horses were off scratching, you know. So in other words, all I did was kill off the mama, you know, parasites, whatever, and they had run full cycle, and now the babies were all hatched and irritating. So I started using homeopathy every six months, and I did a two-week protocol. I would treat the water for two weeks, and then I'd forget it for, you know, six months, then we'd do it again. And my horses never had parasites after that. Yeah. So if you do it, uh, dilute it, would uh, a teaspoon so if we dilute it, would a teaspoon be equivalent to, I like to give half to, t to one teaspoon doses. And I say, you know, because no two, no two teaspoons are the same size, right? <laughs> you don't need much. We just had my friend here, and we were talking about her mother in the hospital. Um, they put her into a coma. They were actually just wetting her lips with diluted homeopathic remedies at one point. And that is sufficient. Because even like organic farmers, I tell them, you can take a spray bottle, put good clean water in there, distilled water, spring water, something that's not been contaminated. You can put one to four pellets in that full bottle and you can succuss it, dilute it, you know, make sure it's completely dissolved, succuss it and walk down in front of your cows, spray the noses of all your cows and you can treat them, every single one of them. You know, and I look back now and it's like, Oh my goodness, I wish I would have known about this because we could have used aconite for our cows because you have cows that are outside all the time and then you bring them in and they're super, super cold because otherwise they're going to freeze off their tits, you know? <laughs> Excuse my language. But they would come in and they would, then you have to fight the whole barn full of pneumonia because you're sort of shaving the tops of their backs so that the, the heat can come out because they're not used to being in the barn and then the barn gets moist because you've got all the cattle in there and if you don't have good enough ventilation, they're all getting pneumonia. So if we could have, you know, used the homeopathic remedies to treat them, it's like, oh, my goodness. What have this saved so many vet bills, you know? But nowadays, you know, back then we used to think, oh, my gosh, we have to have, you have to have the, barn, the cows in the barn and it's 20 below zero. But, you know, that's not always true either. You know, it's just kind of a wife's tale. If the cow wasn't healthy enough, yeah, she's going to freeze because she's not going to be smart enough to take care of herself. Now, organic farmers never bring their cattle in. They just have good shelters that they can stand from a windbreak, and, and they're healthy, so they don't have that sort of problem. Okay, and when I took my, I went to Portland for my, I'm sorry, repeat the question, yes. How long will the water dilution last? When I went out to take my cancer protocol in Portland, Dr. Chatterjee told us that a remedy will stay good. He always suggested glass bottles. So that's why I like to use pint jars. So, I mean, if, I'm, if my kid is sick, I'm, gonna use, I'm just going to put it in a, in a plastic water bottle because it's only, I'm only going to need it for 24 hours, right? Um, but if I have something that I want to keep for quite a while, uh, I, you can put one to four pellets in a pint jar of good distilled water, label it, succuss it, put it in the refrigerator, and it will last up to 30 days if you succuss it daily. You only have to succuss it three times. It's like stirring up the ocean, so to speak. You know how the, ocean, the tide is always keeping the ocean stirred up? You don't want anything to become stagnant. Succuss it three times, three to ten times a day, and it'll keep for up to 30 days without adding anything to it. So, and I don't go beyond anything more than that in this class. <laughs> so... Any other questions? Otherwise, we're going to wrap this up. I, I really hope this has helped you to understand that you, as a parent, you have been given, as a parent, the responsibility for your child in all ways. Education, health, nutrition, nur nurturing and nourishing that child. And, to and when you use these homeopathic remedies, tell your child, honey, I'm giving you bryonia because your knee swelled up after you fell off your bike. And we're only going to use it until the swelling is down. And then we're going to stop because you don't need it anymore. So tell the child what you're doing so that he remembers that. He might not remember exactly what's going on. 
but he's going to say later, what did mom give me for that knee? And he'll go look it up. You know, see what I'm saying? So teach while you're using these remedies and the whole family will eventually, like my daughter the other day, she was like, mom, I don't have to come to your class. I already know everything. So I started asking her questions. She goes, okay, fine. I don't know everything, but <laughs> you know, they'll learn it. It's there. You're instilling that because they don't listen to what you're saying, but they're watching what you're doing. And so later they will consciously recall that you know, the language of what you're saying. So with that, I'm going to let y'all go. Thank you. May God bless you and yours. Thanks for listening to this episode of Homeopathy for Mommies radio show. Please visit Sue on her website, homeopathyformommies.com, and join us right here at homeopathyformommiesradio.com, Wednesday, noon Eastern. As always, we pray the Lord blesses you with good health, vitality, strength, and wisdom.